Hi, this is Chris Date, and you're listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, episode 127, A Christian Dialogue on Voting Third Party, part four. Welcome again to another episode of the The Apologetics Podcast. This is the fourth and final installment of a series of uh, podcast episodes that I've been doing with two friends of mine, um, which I am billing as a Christian conversation about third-party voting alternatives in this election cycle, uh, which is such a dismal uh, experience for uh, for many people on both sides of the uh, of the political divide. In the first part of the series. My friends and I discussed uh, this dilemma that many, particularly uh, Christian Republicans, are facing this year um, with finding themselves unable to vote for Donald Trump or for Hillary Clinton, uh, why it is that we are facing that dilemma, some of the things that are preventing us from feeling comfortable voting for either of those alternatives. In part two, we discussed one of the third-party alternatives, uh, which is the Libertarian Party, and we discussed some of the some of the um, issues in both the platform and its nominee, Gary Johnson, uh, that both might attract uh, disaffected Christian Republicans, uh, and some that might um, that might discourage Christian uh, disaffected Republicans from voting for Gary Johnson this presidential election. In part three, last episode of the series, we discussed another a third party alternative to the two main parties. This time, the Constitution Party. And once again, we discussed uh, both in terms of the Constitution Party's platform as well as its nominee, that of Daryl Castle, uh, some of the things that might attract uh, disaffected Christian Republicans as well as discourage disaffected Christian Republicans for voting for Daryl Castle and the Constitution Party. And in this final installment, uh, we'll be dis- discussing more generically uh, various third-party considerations. Uh, you know, is it is it only Republicans that might consider alternatives this election cycle, or might Democrats as well? Is a third party even viable? Is a vote for a third party a wasted vote? Is it essentially vote for you know one of the two-party candidates, whichever one wins? We'll we'll discuss these and other questions in this final installment. Uh, with all of that introduction out of the way, let me go ahead and welcome my guests. We'll begin with uh, my friend Chris Ray, who had in this series has been sort of advocating tentatively for the Constitution Party. Chris, thank you so much for being here today. Good morning, Chris. It's good to be here. And then my other guest and friend is Karen Harlos, uh, formerly known as Dee Dee Warren, and uh, yeah. she, she has been in this series uh, advocating for the Libertarian Party. Thank you for being here, Karen. Oh, thank you for having me. So let's just go ahead and, and jump right in. You know, we've spent a lot of time, several hours now, discussing the two main parties, and we've discussed the specifics about the Constitution and Libertarian parties. Uh, let's dive in and just start talking about generic third-party voting considerations. And, and I want to kick things off with this question. Um, are Christians who've historically voted Democrat likely to consider alternatives? And the reason I say that is because although the three of us um, may have historically been inclined to vote Republican as Christians, uh, there are many Christians who would say they are much more comfortable voting Democrat and have done so historically. Uh, The three of us and many other disaffected Christian Republicans are considering third-party alternatives. 
But if Christian Democrats aren't likewise considering third-party alternatives, then then I could understand a Christian disaffected Republican being concerned that voting for a third-party alternative is just going to split the the conservative Christian vote, uh, leaving Democrats the the um, you know with with a much more unified number of votes. Uh, now I have a coworker, for example, who is socially liberal. And has therefore historically voted Democrat, but because of some of the issues with uh, with Hillary Clinton, and because he's economically conservative, he he does find himself open to voting uh, for some non Republican and non Democrat alternative third party. But but the question I have is: Is that story unique? Do you guys think that there are uh, Christian or non Christian Democrats that might actually consider voting for a third party the way that many former Republicans are? Would you like me to go first? Sure, Karen. Yeah, you kick things off. Yes, absolutely, because if you look just statistically, um, the fact is what you've just described as a libertarian, by the way, um, but <laughs> I mean, the classically, that's the classic definition of a, of a libertarian, but historically, the libertarian party polls po- pretty equally from, from both sides, um, uh, slightly more to from the right, but it's a statistically insignificant. For instance, in 2012, um, I have some uh, statistics for you. It's too early for me to have all these S's with my lisp. <laughs> but in 2012, 22% of libertarians had previously repo- voted Republican. 27% had previously voted Democrat. So that is interesting. But here's the more interesting t- statistics, which a lot of people forget about third parties. They tend to attract disaffected voters. So in including in those numbers there, because you notice that doesn't un- that doesn't add up necessarily to 100%, 41% didn't vote at all. So they, we draw from pools of people that wouldn't have voted for either. And when we do draw from the the two old parties, it's pretty equally from both sides, at least as far as libertarians go. You look at Green Party, I think that would be a little different. Chris, do you, uh, do you hear many, I mean, look, I, I hear many uh, former Republicans considering third-party alternatives. I don't know that I've heard any uh, former Democrats doing so. Have you? Well, you know, the circles that I tend to travel in are are mostly conservative circles. So I'm going to hear a lot more about the disaffected Republicans uh, than I am the disaffected Democrats. But I have done a little bit of research on this and read read a few articles uh, about the, the fact that roughly one-third, according to some estimates, uh, of registered Democrats are not on board, or I'm sorry, one-third of Bernie Sanders supporters are not on board with supporting Hillary Clinton. And we saw a lot of this in the antics that they had at the uh, DNC convention uh, and in protests that they've done afterwards. And I think what you got here is that you had a candidate, and, and we see some real similarities with Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, that they both campaigned on being anti-establishment and talking about how crooked the establishment was, how rotten their opponents were, how fixed the system was, and they really rallied their supporters around this theme. So just as Donald Trump supporters, many of them most likely would have not supported an alternative GOP candidate, many, many Bernie Sanders supporters believed what I believe is true, which was his picture of Hillary Clinton as being crooked, as being part of a broken system, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I think that the, the evidence shows if you're looking at 
you know, the blogosphere and Politico and things like that, that a good number of those are still never Hillary, never mm. Hillary, never Hillary. So I think that you're going to see a big boon uh, from the left as well as the right, either not voting or voting third party. All right. So then let me move on to the next question then. This is a good transition because unless um, either of you has more to say on, the, on that question, because let's assume that both parties will lose a comparable number of voters to third parties. The next question is, will enough voters from the two parties um, vote instead for a third party? I mean, ultimately, the question I'm getting at is, is, is a third party even viable? Because uh, it, it has often seemed to me that it's not. Um, I mean, I've said this before, and I'm kind of looking back a little ashamed of myself for having said so, that, that, um, that there's just no possibility that a third party is going, to, is going to win. And so from my perspective, it has always been, uh, a third party vote has always been a, a wasted vote. And, and so the question I have for you guys, I guess, is twofold. One is, what is the highest percentage of the popular and electoral votes uh, that a third party has ever received, uh, to your knowledge? And second of all, do you think there's any indication that that, that, that number will be greatly exceeded this election? Okay, if you'd like me to go first again, there's so much packed in there, and we might have to take this a little bit at a time. Sure. I want to answer your your last question, well, your second to last question first, um, only because I think, it, with all due respect, in the in the you got to put on third party eyes sometimes. So sometimes when we're talking, you ask questions which seem perfectly reasonable coming from somebody who's still. In a, in, a, in a major party mindset that to a third party person, it's almost like asking us what the color blue tastes like. But let me first answer the one question I think ends up being somewhat irrelevant to a third party person. Uh, as far as the Libertarian Party is concerned, we've only once broken 1% of the national votes and only once earned more than 1 million votes. And they weren't necessarily at the same time because, you know, percentage doesn't always equal number. So this was in 1980 um, with getting... Um, more than 1% of the national vote. And then 2012, Gary Johnson's last run, we broke a million votes. So those were two two milestones. Though I will say that um, our very first candidates, John Hospers and Tony Nathan, uh, Tony Nathan, and you can take this, Hillary, Tony Nathan was the first woman to receive an electoral college vote because the very first Libertarian Party ticket did get an electoral college vote from a faithless elector out of Virginia named Roger McBride. So that's just an interesting tidbit of history. Mm. So looking at those, you may go, well, oh, my goodness, they have no chance. You have to – I love the quips when people go, oh, if you vote for um, – if you vote for Gary Johnson, then you're voting for Hillary. I go, well, no, if you're voting for Gary Johnson, you're voting for Gary Johnson. And if you want to use that kind of quip, I'd say if you're not voting for Gary Johnson, then you're voting for both Hillary and Trump. It, it, it's a word game. If everyone who said they were unhappy voted for someone else, that someone else would win. That's all it takes. It isn't really rocket science. And the fact is, though, if we're going to say that the system is weighted towards a two-party system, which which is indeed is true, though I don't think it's an impossible thing to overcome. The fact is we already have the very rapid death of a major party and the replacement of it by a formally third party in history. Look at the Whigs and the Republicans. I, I firmly believe that the Republicans are going the way of the Whigs right now. Will the Libertarian Party replace them and can the Libertarian Party remain Libertarian? Doing so is an entirely different question. But we tend to think that the Democrats and the Republicans are always going to be there. And I think 
history is now showing us that that's not necessarily the case. So there's so many different issues packed in there, and we're only concentrating on the beauty pageant. We're only concentrating on the presidential election, and I think that is extremely short-sighted. In local elections, absolutely third parties can win. In local elections, libertarians have have had the majority on a city council here in Colorado. It can be done. And to me, that's the locals really where our focus needs to be, and third parties absolutely can succeed there. Well, I understand. I mean, that, that makes sense. Although, in, in, in my own defense, we began this part, this series discussing specifically the, the uh, presidential election with Donald Trump and, and Hillary Clinton being the two party candidates. If, if we were to discuss at the local level, I'd have a whole lot more research to do because I know very little, to, if anything, about it. Um, but no, I, I hear what you're saying. But what about what about you, Chris? You know, is um, uh, is is a third party vote a wasted vote this election cycle? And and or, or do you think? Well, I guess this is a separate question. But do, is are, are there indications that a third party um, that third parties will receive a much greater percentage of votes than maybe they have in the past? Well, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, within the your two rounds of questioning here, you asked about six questions, so I'm gonna address. <laughs> some of them and maybe out of order and maybe not to your satisfaction. So we'll, we'll see here. Um, viewing things from, from the right, from the, the former GOP uh, standpoint and conservative standpoint, one of the things that I really see and that really concerns me but does not surprise me is that the disaffected GOP vote is highly, highly divided You have people who are going to vote Constitution Party and who are rabid Castle supporters. You have people who are jumping on the McMillan bandwagon uh, and saying, oh, my goodness, here's our our dark horse candidate. You have people who are supporting Tom Hoffling uh, in the, what is it, the New America's Party or the America's Party. You have people who are supporting Gary Johnson, like Glenn Beck even came out and said, I'm probably going to vote for Gary Johnson. And what we've got there is we've got a conservative electorate who are going in a thousand different directions. And this is one of the reasons, here's a shameless plug, I know, but this is one of the reasons that we've set up the National Conservative Council is in a hope to attract... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Karen, you watch the keyboard? Okay, thanks. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. One of the reasons that we've set up the National Conservative Council is in a hope to attract enough of these disaffected conservatives to try and unify them around the cause of conservative principles and things that we stand for and hopefully help to encourage them to move in one direction. Now, we're not specifying what that direction is, so to speak, uh, but but hopefully to, to have some unification because there is strength in numbers. And the splitting of that vote, the splitting of the disaffected vote, which I think you're going to see more of on the right than on the left, uh, is going to impact its effectiveness. Um, The next thing is whether or not a third party can viably take this election uh, and whether or not it's a wasted vote. Uh, that, That touches on a whole host of issues. I think that it's possible if enough people were were unified if there was some unifying voice out there which unfortunately a lot of christian leadership could have been but they decided to jump on the uh, the trump bandwagon it's possible that that unified voice could get behind somebody like gary johnson or like daryl castle uh or or jill Stein or whoever it is and and i don't think those are all equally good choices 
to get it to the point where, at the very least, the election could be thrown into the House. Now, for a lot of third-party people, <laughs> they're not going to be wild about that idea anyway, because there's no way the House is going to pick a third-party uh, third-party person uh, for that spot. But Ooh, that's I a possibility. I disagree. Do you? Okay, okay. So we can touch on that. But I want to say one more thing before we do, if that's all right. Sure. Is that people talk a lot about a wasted vote. And this is something that really gets me fired up because of the way that I view civic duty and civic responsibility and my vote. And this was instilled in me from very young. This is not a Johnny-come-lately revelation as I've left the GOP. My vote is my sacred property as a citizen. It is me casting my honor and my voice behind a candidate. So wherever I choose to cast that, it's not wasted if I'm voting my conscience. I believe that if I am voting for political expediency, from a political standpoint, maybe people would say it's not wasted, but from a moral standpoint, I would say it is utterly wasted. If I voted for Donald Trump, for example, simply so that he would be Hillary Clinton, even though I believe he's a despicable excuse for a candidate, I believe that would be wasting my vote. Hmm. That's interesting. So, Karen, you, uh, I, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear you disagree with Chris's uh, suspicion that the House would never give the um, – you know, would never choose a third party if if the vote goes to the House. Um, I'm not surprised to hear that because I've heard, I've seen libertarians uh, articles about Gary Johnson saying that that could in fact happen. Before you explain why you disagree with Chris, though, can you help listeners uh, that are somewhat clueless as I am? Can you help them understand what it would? what it would mean, what it would take for the vote to go to the House, why that would happen, and on what basis, you know, what happens if the vote goes to the House. Okay, and yeah, I, I absolutely will, and also caveat emptor here, um, because I was never really involved in politics in the rest of my life, a lot of this is new to me too. It's been like drinking from a fire hose, mm. because again, a lot of my interest is more local, so learning that the federal stuff has been has been fascinating. But from what I understand, the way it would work is, is if, Neither Hillary nor Trump get a majority of the electoral college, which would mean there is a third person or a fourth person in there that has skewed the numbers. Then the um, House of Representatives would vote on who the presidential candidate would be and then would choose between the top two, which makes it even more interesting, of the vice presidential candidates. So this is actually the Libertarian Party strategy right now. I'm not revealing any secret information. They've been quite open about it is that we believe and I uh, and I might and I'm deluded enough to uh, to agree with them they believe that we could win one or two states and that if we could win one or two states some of the battleground states that have been talked about have been New Mexico Gary Johnson's where he was formerly governor Utah where Gary Johnson is doing fantastic Colorado my state there's a there's a certain group of eight states that if we win some of those states we could keep Hillary or Trump from getting the 270 that they need 
an electoral college vote sent would go to the House. And then people say, well, the, the House is dominated by Republicans. Doesn't this just give it to Trump? No, because Republicans aren't necessarily too happy with Trump. And Trump scares the crap out of some of the Democrats. So it is not at all outside the realm of uh, possibilities that the Democrats, knowing that Hillary will not get it in either event, would move to Johnson and some never Trumpers would move to Johnson and Johnson could very well be considered by them the best option. To me, this is not at all far-fetched. In most elections, I would say you are crazy. Not in this one. Not with probably two of the, the worst liked candidates since the ancient Roman Empire. <laughs> I think we actually have a shot at this. It may be one of those dumb and dumbers, you know, are you saying I have a chance? But I actually do think we have a chance at this. Now, though, that would mean that the Libertarian Party vice presidential candidate would not be it. If I'm understanding this properly and I accept correction from any listener or from you guys, it would mean then, though, that the choice would be between the Democratic vice presidential candidate and the Republican vice presidential candidate. That's a whole other can of worms. But as far as Gary Johnson getting in there, we, in fact, do have a chance. So, Chris, uh, why is it – do you think that um, – and maybe your mind has already changed. I don't know, but just from what Karen just described. But uh, but why do you think that it's not likely that the House, in the event that the vote goes to them, uh, would choose Gary Johnson over either Trump or Clinton? I, I think that Karen makes a, a very strong argument there, and I, I think that she, she may well have – well, I know she has a point. Uh, the reason that I'm disinclined to think that they would pick Johnson – is not because of Johnson, but because the two-party system, as much as many of us think the two-party system is horribly broken and needs to be overhauled, needs to be revamped, and it's time for a third party to arise, those who are in it, those who are, are making their money and making their livelihood off you know, term after term uh, in the House and the Senate, things like that, they are so vested in that system I don't know that one election cycle is going to bring them to the point where they can pull themselves out of that. And we see some evidence of that. We see evidence of that in people who we never thought would endorse Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. Endorsing Donald Trump. Right. People like Chris, well, Chris Christie, well, that's a different story. But people like Newt Gingrich, people like Rudy Giuliani. Um, who, from a old-school Republican mentality, were stalwart, conservative, principled people, throwing it all away and supporting you know, the Republican frontrunner. And I'm afraid that for their job security and for their political security, we would see a lot of that in the House. Now, Karen may very well be right. There may be enough Democrats you know, who, who can't stand... Uh, Trump and enough Republicans who can't stand Hillary and enough in their own camps who can't stand their own candidate that it would go would go differently and and call me cynical and I've never been cynical I've always been an optimist but this election's changing things but I think that they're going to vote to save their own butts which mm -hmm. is going to be towing their party line and supporting their two party system uh, and and their own seats. Can I respond yes. slightly to that? Um, we are seeing, though, the unthinkable happen. You had Scott Regal of Virginia 
um, who has already endorsed Johnson, a seated Republican House person. Um, we also had one that endorsed Hillary, which is even crazier. So I think we're you're seeing people willing to take these risks. I rightly think that a lot of Republicans think that if Trump wins, it will be the death of the Republican Party, which would not make me sad in the slightest if I if I um take off my, my partisan hat and just looking at this as an objective um, political observer wannabe strategist, I do believe the only way the Republican Party can survive is if Trump doesn't win. Um, I could be wrong on that. But if I were a Republican, I would be thinking that way. I don't think I what I'm I completely agree. Right. So they might think that way. And I think actually nearly all of the Democrats would put their weight behind Johnson to defeat Trump because they know in the House Hillary can't win. So they're not betraying their candidate all of the Democrats there have nothing to lose. So I think we have the de- – when I say we, the Libertarian Party would have the Democrat vote. It's just a matter of getting some of the Republicans, and we're getting them now. Now, this is a rumor. I haven't had – I don't have any substantiation of this rumor, but allegedly later this month, Romney, McCain, and Bush, um, Jeb, are supposed to get set to endorse Gary Johnson. If that happens, that's a game changer. You just had the party royalty – uh, endorse Johnson. Now that would be a huge game changer. I, I totally agree. If that were to happen, that is going to be the September, October surprise of the century. Now, is it going to happen? I don't know. Will a lot of libertarians be happy if that happens? A lot of them will not be, but it is a rumor that's out there. That's been reported by major enough sites to make me think there's something to it. How much something I don't know, but that's out there. They've all kind of hinted that they might be voting Johnson. That's different than endorsing, but that even right there is is big. So I don't think you can count on any traditional reasoning. I think it's all out the window. I think we're living in – this is – we have history in our lifetimes right now, so we better enjoy it. It'll be something to be telling people. Well, and that sort of leads to uh, a follow-up that I want to ask. But before I do, I just want to point out, I have a sneaking suspicion that the Republican Party is on its way into the grave, regardless of whether Trump wins. Um, I know, you know, I've seen a number of um, Republicans say they are they are leaving the GOP and registering independent or whatever, um, simply because Trump was nominated. And, and, it, and it seems to me that this may be, you know, sort of a death knell for the GOP, just the fact that they were willing to nominate such a um, despicable candidate that um, I mean, I, I know I, I don't feel, I don't feel like a Republican anymore. It's not that um, it's not merely that, gosh, if, if he gets elected, I'm then I'm done. I, I kind of feel like I'm done now. Uh, and I wonder how widespread that is. But, but that aside, um, a thought that has been occurring to me as each of you have been answering my question is that, let, let's assume let, – let's, let's say for the sake of argument that everything that we've been talking about happens in terms of the vote going to the House, and yet the House still chooses um, either Trump or Clinton over uh, whatever third-party candidate is, is, um, is, is among those choices. Even then, it seems to me that one could make an argument that the vote – that one's vote for a third-party candidate wasn't wasted because it seems to me that that would be a – I mean you guys know – you guys may know this history better than I do, but it sounds to me like something that would be virtually unprecedented. Um, in, in electoral history, and at least 
in the recent history. And it, it may very well be that that wakes people up to the possibility of this kind of thing happening, of of voting for a third party and having them win. So it, so it could be a way of snapping people out of the two party delusion, um, you know, and getting people who've never considered voting for a third party in the past to consider voting for one in a future election. Does does that seem reasonable? M- might that be a reason that it wouldn't be a wasted vote, even if even if the third party candidate doesn't win? I think that's an excellent point. I think that's definitely uh, definitely one of the. Uh, benefits of if you're so inclined to vote for a third party to actually do that. And again, we both bristle at the term wasted vote, but yes, um, that would be, um, that would definitely, and I believe, don't quote me on this because this is something I haven't looked up. I believe it's happened twice before. I'm pretty close to that, but not in recent history. Certainly not. Okay. And Chris, you touched on something there that I'd like to comment on. Sure. That's all right. Uh, you talked about the fact that, uh, you know, you said you don't even feel like a Republican anymore. And this is something that I, I've addressed when I when I left the Republican Party and I, I blogged about, uh, you know, my blog title was the, the, the Party Left Me. And I was kind of playing off Reagan back yes. in 62. That's very uh, much how I feel. Yeah. And that is how a lot of us feel. It's not that we're retaliating against the party. It's not that we are so pouty over Trump getting the nomination that we're just going to pick up our ball and go home. For many of us, it's that this party, which for years and decades, many of us felt represented our convictions and our beliefs over the course of the last several years with their failure to defund Planned Parenthood, with their failure to adequately stand up to Obama, even when they had a majority in the House and could have done it. With, with repeated failures to actually act on these principles, and then the capstone being this travesty of a primary season that we have had, we feel, many of us feel, that the Republican Party truly has changed to such an extent that they're no longer something that we can identify with with a clear conscience. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that we're not just being pouty or whiny or whatever, because that's that's something I've often heard people that are voting for Trump say is, oh, you guys are just being pouty and, and whiny or whatever. But the reality is that there have been, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm 36, so I've had, you know, 18 years or whatever of, of voting. And I've always voted for a presidential candidate since I've been eligible, at least as far as I remember. And there have been um, and they've all and it's the vote's always been for Republicans, incidentally. Um, but there have been candidates that uh, did not win the nominee, didn't win the nomination, uh, and yet I still voted for the the one who did. Um, I'm thinking, for example, of uh, McCain. I, I, if I remember correctly, there were other uh, there were other candidates that I would have much rather been the the one to win the nomination and to go into the general election. Um, but I was I was okay voting for Kane because uh, because I I felt I felt as though he still generally basically represented the uh, the kinds of principles that as as a republican I, I upheld but this is this is different <laughs> this is entirely different this is not merely me complaining and moaning that the candidate i wanted to win the nomination didn't this is a case where the one who did um, is a travesty so i'm glad that you mentioned that i well, do and, want- and if i think back if i think back through the elections i can think about having those exact thoughts in the last three elections with Romney, with McCain, and with Dole. Mm. None of them were fantastic candidates. 
None of them did I think likely had a chance of winning, but they represented my values at the time, or at least I believed they did to such an extent that it made sense supporting them. It made sense voting for them. This time is wholly different. Just to give your listeners uh, some interesting history, I looked it up while we were waiting. It's, it, I was correct. It's only happened twice before and long times ago. In 1800, Thomas Jefferson was elected by the House. In 1824, John Quincy Adams was elected by the House. Nice. Well, so let me move on to a question that you guys have already touched on, but I want to give you a chance to say a little bit more, and which I suspect will bristle you as much, if not more, then uh, the you know the question about it, a third party vote being a wasted vote. Um, the, basically, the question is this, and, and let me get through the whole thing before you guys start yelling and screaming. <laughs> uh, the, the question is: Is a vote for a third party, a third party candidate, essentially a vote for whichever two party candidate wins? And and I ask that because first of all, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen it as often as I have. There's probably no more uh, no more frequently repeated trope than the idea that a vote for um, a third party candidate is just a vote for uh, either Hillary or or Donald, um, but but in specific specifically, what prompted me to ask this question is is a recent blog post at the Huffington Post by Paul Richardson, who said that Clinton's share of the vote almost always drops in polls where third parties are included, um, and, and in other words, third parties appear to hurt her uh, more than they do. Trump. Now, for those of us like myself who think that Trump would actually be more disastrous for this country than Clinton, and, and don't get me wrong, I think both would be disastrous, but but thinking that Trump would be more disastrous than Clinton, for people like me who think so, does does this challenge, does this idea that the third party seems third party candidates seem to hurt Clinton more than Trump, does this challenge the notion of voting third party if the if if people like me are really super opposed to um Hold on a second. What, what's the point? Of, oh, yeah, yeah. Are really super opposed to Trump winning the candidacy. What, what do you guys think? Is, 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 is voting for a third-party candidate essentially a vote for whichever two-party candidate wins? I'll start off on this one sure. if that's all right. And this really goes back to uh, what I talked to about the nature of a vote. A vote for a third-party candidate is a vote for a third-party candidate. When you vote, you're making a statement about what you believe would be the best for this country. To make that statement disingenuously and vote for one of the two major party candidates simply because you think it's inevitable that one of them will win is to say that voting doesn't matter, is to say that your vote is simply one of the cogs in the wheel rather than the sacred duty, which I believe it is for every citizen. And so that's you know, just tied into the previous question about it being a wasted vote, it's really just taking the same question uh, and couching it slightly differently. As far as the the polls, which are saying that uh, a vote for a third part or having a third party candidate in the polls hurts Hillary more than it does Trump. Uh, I believe from the people that I've been talking to and from the circles that I travel in, I don't I have a hunch that there are not a whole lot of never-Trumpers being polled. Hmm. That's my hunch. I may be wrong. I may be dead wrong. But I have a hunch from what I'm seeing out there that the majority of people that are being polled are party liners and liberals. That's just my hunch, but I believe that that is probably skewing 
uh, skewing a lot of those results. And I believe that there's a lot more uh, of the never Trumpers, if you will, uh, than the media and particularly uh, the, the GOP candidate uh, want to admit. And now I would love to say something. Yeah. Okay. First of all, um, oh, God, where, where do you even start in this? This, this, this does get me c- completely riled up. Um, I do not believe, as, as Chris also said, that I do not believe that we were ever meant to vote in a way to game the system, to go, well, if I vote here, it's going to influence this person over here and this person over here. So it's not really who I believe in. It's this kind of like Las Vegas voting. I do not believe that we were intended to vote that way. And I'm going to send you a link that I hope that you will include in your show notes only because it's it's, it's a very rational discussion uh, entitled How Not to Waste Your Vote, a Mathematical Analysis. And it, bring, it, it shows exactly what the math is for your vote vote and to show how not voting your conscience is really, really silly. But it also brings up the fact that everyone views this wasted vote thing only in the in a sense of will it skew to this person or this person. But when in fact, so what they're basically saying is if you vote for a candidate who did not win, that's what people are characterizing as a wasted vote. But there's a second kind of wasted vote. Excess votes cast for winning candidates. Those votes don't count either. Once they get past Mm. the part they need to win, all of those excess votes are wasted votes, quote unquote. And most people ignore that half of the, the equation. And when you do that, when you when you put all of these into consideration, you realize how vacuous this argument is. And there's the the value. Um, now I'm going to give a quote from this article, just their little you know blurbs that they pull out. The value of your vote is what you give it. So should you spend it on a candidate that you don't believe in? People voting out of fear of the worst candidate is a self-perpetuating cycle. If you're tired of that happening now, don't do it because you're just perpetuating it. But the most powerful quote, I think, in this article was, certainly the founders never envisioned an endless cycle of U.S. citizens voting for the lesser of two evils. And what I said before, if enough people vote their conscience and vote for what they believe in, things can change. It's really not rocket science. Mm. But I'll send you this link because it, it really does the math of votes, and it is excellent. And it, and it does the math of excess votes on how those are, quote unquote, wasted. Sure. You, yeah, know, you, br- you bring up the founders there. And, you know, as as both of you know, uh, the founders intentions and then the, the framing of the Constitution, all of that is very, very important to me in, in my paradigm. Uh, and I, I just always love to put this quote out here from Alexander Hamilton. He said, if we must have an enemy at the head of government, let it be one whom we can oppose and for whom we are not responsible. And it's really interesting that he said this, and you talk about how the founders never envisioned this as being voting for the lesser of two evils. And you might, people might ask, well, who in the world was he talking about? What was this evil versus evil you know, vote that he was talking about. And Alexander Hamilton was referring to the very election that you mentioned earlier being thrown into the House between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. And it's just fascinating to me that this is not a new conversation. This is not a new issue. This is an issue that has been part of the fabric of of American politics since the very beginning. Uh, So when we talk about 
not voting for the lesser of two evils. There is there is precedent after precedent after precedent uh, to back that up. Well, and you know, I sure I'll admit that the idea that we might one day soon live in an America in which um, we don't generally feel like it's a vote between the less or for the lesser of two evils. The idea that we might achieve that one day is pretty exciting to me, and I suspect I'm not alone in, in feeling pretty um, discouraged every election cycle when that's the kind of vote that it turns out to be. So maybe this is the year to change things. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, registration as opposed to just voting, because uh, I think I live, I think in Washington here, um, one does need to, at least this this began recently, like in last election cycle or the one before, one does have to vote um, in the primary for uh, positions all in the same party. Um, but you don't register for that party beforehand. You, you get a ballot that has... Um, that has a, a Democrat side and a Republican side and an independent middle. And, and you have to vote. You, you just have to fill in bubbles in one column. Um, and then in the general election, you know, of course it's, it's, it's wide open, but I don't think that this is a state where one registers as far as I'm aware, at least not with the government for what party one is in. Uh, but, but I gather from statements that you've made, Chris, about, about leaving the, the Republican party and, and, and encouraging this countrywide exodus from the GOP. And, and I gather from other people that have said they're registering independent, that, that there are, that, that, that is a, an option for many to officially register with a particular party. And the question I have is one that, um, I'm not really sure what you were getting at Karen, when you suggested that we talk about this. So I'll pose this question to you and let you elaborate and help us understand maybe what, what you were getting at with this question and how you would answer it. The question is, is registering independent a desirable option for most people? So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and let me, because I always forget that there are states in which there are not partisan registrations, and you are correct, in Washington there is not. Washington's actually part of my region. I'm your, if you were a libertarian, I would be your regional representative. <laughs> but um, Washington does not have partisan registrations. And at Washington, I just for your own edification and just for people in general to hear how weird some election laws are, and some people in Washington might be offended that I said this was weird. <laughs> I'm not in favor of the system there. You guys have something called top two. So you not only do not have partisan registrations, only the top two from the primaries um, proceed on to the to the general election. And I think that is something that is also highly skewed in favor of silencing third party voices. Mm. Um, some members of the Libertarian Party of Washington have been successful with top two say that they might disagree with me. So please do not take my comments as representative of the state party. But 31 states, you can register at least as libertarian. I'm not sure if you can register as constitution or green in those states, but that gives you a general idea of how many states in which there is at least libertarian partisan registration. Colorado is one of them, and the state I came from, Florida, is one of them. I didn't even know there were ones you can't. So it's funny how you assume where you live is how everywhere mm. is. So in those states where you can choose your party, a lot of people have become dissatisfied with the Republicans and Democrats and goes, well, I'm just going to register independent. And I would say, well, I love it when people leave the Republicans or Democrats for the message they're trying to send. It's actually a terrible message because it's an ambiguous message hmm. uh, to use a biblical reference. What's it like the trumpeter giving an unclear call? Um, it's unclear because for instance, in Colorado, you can register as 
we actually have the nutrition party, but that's another story. Um, in Colorado, you can re register as libertarian. You can register as green. So if you register as independent, what, what message are you sending? The only message you're sending is one of general dissatisfaction. But for all the government knows or all the two parties know, you could think we need more socialism. You could want more statism. You could want general, you know, you could want Mao. So registering independent just says I'm unhappy, but doesn't say how you're unhappy. Hmm. So if you are looking for more freedom, then you have much more bang to your re-registration as something else if you register libertarian. Or if you want more socialism, you are giving much more bang for your re-registration buck by registering green. Even if you don't agree necessarily with those two parties, everyone knows the general direction they advocate. So I would say registering independent if you want to send a clear message is a bad idea. As opposed to registering for a specific third party. Right. That most closely aligns with what you want. Gotcha. Chris, any thoughts on this? I agree that if you are viewing your registration, which not everybody does, but if you're viewing your registration as making a statement to the establishment, registering independent is this kind of amorphous, you know, stand for nothing, stand for anything, who knows where you stand uh, statement. Um, personally, I thought about registering independent. And the reason I thought about registering independent is because no party perfectly uh, describes who I am. I've got issues with the platforms of every party I've looked into uh, up to leading up to and after I left the GOP. So I thought about registering independent and, and a very good friend of mine who's a radio show here, host here locally, uh, is an independent. And we've talked about this a lot. And his argument was, I can vote for whoever I want. I'm not going to vote in the primaries, obviously, but in the general, I can vote for whoever I want. I can stand on whatever ballot measures I want. And I'm not bogged down by the baggage of a party. And he's very, very passionate about that. My argument for registering third party, and I, and I would echo Karen's, though that wasn't you know the one I was going to mention. My argument for registering third party is that I believe that politics is a group sport. It's not just an individual sport. It's not just something where I hold my view and that's my view, as, as religion is, for example. So here we're comparing politics versus, versus our faith. Uh, my faith is my faith, and my faith might be different than your faith, and there may be minor issues or major issues that we disagree on. And, and I know, Chris, you and I have discussed that at great length. But my faith is not attempting to change policy, not attempting to and I'm not, I'm not talking about evangelism here. I'm talking about uh, strength and coercive numbers, if you will. That's not the point of my faith. In politics, if I'm somebody who's politically interested, if I'm somebody who cares about affecting change with my vote, which I would dare say most third-party people probably do, and that's why they're third-party, then being part of something is important. Being part of a group to make a statement is important, not only in the statement that it makes to the, uh, the establishment when you've registered that, 
But as you become politically active, which I would encourage becoming politically active, being able to do that as part of something that you believe in, part of something that you agree with in part or in whole, I think is a very powerful thing. And we can make a lot more difference together than we can make as scattered individual uh, independents. Actually, can I add a couple things, Chris? Because mm-hmm. this and this will probably segue into another thing. Um, though most libertarians were probably all bristling at, at some of that collectivist talk there, but um, <laughs> other uh, there's there's other there's other issues into consideration here. This kind of ties into the wasted vote, and it will go into another subject. I think you want to address. Um, if you want a third party to have a voice in some states. For instance, I'll I'll name one in my region, Arizona. Arizona Libertarian Party ballot access is determined by the number of registered libertarians in their state. Mm. So if you have people who register independent but are pretty much libertarians, they may end up in their particular state costing the Libertarian Party ballot access. So in – for instance, in Arizona, registered libertarians have to make up 0.67% of registered voters, two-thirds of 1%. So – if enough people who might be libertarians just say, ah, I'm going to be uh, independent, there's ballot access on the line. And most people don't think about that. They don't realize the life and death struggle for ballot access that third parties um, go through. And I know that's a subject you probably want to address later. But also, again, as Chris mentioned, um, participation in the primaries. Now, not all states have primaries, too. This is a surprise to a lot of people. We do not have primaries in Colorado. We have a caucus system. And libertarian uh, candidates are chosen at convention. But I think it's very important that we start getting involved in this granular part of the political process. Get involved in the caucuses. Get involved in the conventions. People need to see how the sausage is made. Too many people just look at the final sausage. You need to know what's going into that casing. So in that sense, it's very important to be affiliated with a party so you can at least affect in that. You can be do part of the civic process in that. And to um, Chris's passionate independent friend, I'm a libertarian. I can still vote for any candidate I want to. I could go vote for Trump if I wanted to. I'm not going to get beat up by the libertarian police. Um And also to continue on the wasted vote thing, not only is percentage of registered libertarians in some states the key to ballot access, uh, the percentage that libertarians – and substitute any third party you want here. Obviously, I'm passionate about the libertarians. The percentage of vote that libertarians get in certain key elections, be it the presidential election, be it a statewide race, that percentage determines whether they'll be on the ballot next time. Everything for a third party is fighting for your ballot access. Mm. And if you do not cast that vote, you may not have that option in the future. I see. Well, I'm not sure uh, exactly what it is that you thought that might segue into, but let me ask the um, the last question that I have, which again came from you, Karen, when we were dis- discussing what we might well what we might discuss, uh, and, and, it, and it had to do with the differences between considering a third party vote uh, and considering a third party membership. Do you want to say a word or two to that? And and if and if that's not what you thought what you said might segue into, then maybe we can save that for the next uh, the next question. Well, what I thought it might segue into is talking before you had brought up maybe in one of our personal conversations when we were talking about the Constitution Party, Libertarian Green Party, do they even have enough ballot access to win? Oh, 
So that's a, I thought it would go into the ballot access type thing. But as far as the question on um, registration, w- what was the question? Well, well the, the, the topic that you had suggested that we could discuss um, in, you know, in this entire conversation that we thought was going to last one episode and turn into four was, uh, was what, what some of the differences might be between considering a third-party vote versus considering a third-party membership. Okay. A vote anyone can do. You, you, Chris, uh, Chris and Chris, both of you not registered libertarians can go ahead and vote for Gary Johnson. We thank you for your vote. You do not have to do anything else other than pull that lever. Registering gives yet another level of support. But what's and, – and Chris will be able to answer some questions for me on this because, again, I never was particularly involved in the Republican Party. But with the libertarians, you – like in, for instance in Colorado, if you're a registered libertarian, you're automatically a member of the state party. But as far as being a member of the national party, that's the next level of commitment, which requires an actual application. We require a pledge and we also require dues. So that is the next level of commitment. And if the Republicans, Democrats or whatever, the other if the other third parties, I don't even want to be mentioning those two stinkeroos. If the other third parties have these types of schemes, I really encourage people to take that next step. Have the commitment to being involved in what's going on in your country. Um, obviously, I want you to join the, the National Libertarian Party, but if you're a Constitution Party, I'm not sure what schemes they have there. But a lot of people think, am I registered? Well, that, that's all I need to do. No, there's a lot more. There's a lot more involved in to do. Okay, well, let me go ahead and ask that question then that you thought we might segue into. Um, you know, you mentioned that in Washington we're a top two state, so it sounds like I won't have a bubble to fill for any specific third party candidate. Although I'm pretty confident there will be a write-in option. Uh, let's, <clears throat> given that there are going to be some states, I don't know if many is the right word, but at least some states where a third party candidate isn't specifically listed on the ballot, and and one would have to write in a candidate. Um, I mean, well, I guess the question is twofold. First of all, how can those of us who want to see some third party candidate defeat Trump and, uh, and Clinton, how can we help our individual states to get third party candidates listed on the ballot? And then the second question is, how can we encourage people that live in states where there won't be a third party candidate listed on the ballot to write in a name when they otherwise wouldn't have thought to do so? And, and Chris, I'll, I'll turn to you first. Well, I think that that's a, a little bit of a double edged sword here. And I am not an expert on ballot access. I'll say that right up front. Uh, that's that's a, an area that I, I know that I need to learn more about and get more into. Uh, Karen's going to be able to speak with much more authority there. Um, but one of the things that that you've got to consider when you're doing this is you need, if you're really passionate about helping third parties to get on your ballot, you've got to find out what your state laws are, your state uh, election rules. I'm sorry, it's probably a better term. Uh, and then work within those systems, reach out to those, uh, those candidates' uh, campaigns and see what you can do to help. Uh, and that's where you're going to find your best resources for that because each state is going to have different rules on that. And tied to that, I would really recommend that anybody who is considering writing in a candidate, and I deal with this a lot when I work with uh, diehard Ted Cruz supporters. Believe it or not, they're still there. Uh, You've got to understand that in some states, if you write in a candidate that has not registered for a write-in, not only does that vote not count, 
But in some states, I am told that the entire ballot is thrown out. Wow. And that's very important, a very sobering thought. If you want a wasted vote, write in a candidate in a state where it's going to cause your ballot to get thrown out. Interesting. Karen? Um, I wanted to clarify something with top two, though, for your stakes. I think you might have misunderstood me. Top two doesn't apply for president and vice president, so you will have the choice to vote for Johnson in oh. your state. It also doesn't apply to nonpartisan offices. It also doesn't provide to precinct committee officers. Just there is some categories. So that was a general comment. Again, you know, my focus is more the local, so that's where my mind went. But it does not apply to president. So you can still vote for, for Gary Johnson. Thank you for doing so. <laughs> I didn't say I was going to vote for Johnson. <laughs> I'm giving you the hard sell. Wow. Uh, I'm good, aren't I? But anyway, um, ball- w- with ballot access. So right now the Libertarian Party is on track to be on all 50 uh, state ballots. It's the only third party that is on track, though Ohio right now is pulling some really, really dirty tricks. There are a lot of dirty tricks that that get pulled in this, and it's an eye-opening experience once you start delving into to ballot access. You, and Chris was completely right that in order to help third parties in your state, you need to know the election laws in your state. They're, they're all different. Colorado, we are fortunate. We have the easiest ballot access laws in the country. But some states are truly, truly oppressive. Um, and you need to know yours and find out which groups are then petitioning or doing what they can to get third parties on the ballot or perhaps to change your ballot access laws. And each state is so different. I would recommend if anyone is interested in this topic, there's a fantastic site called Ballot Access News, and you will learn more about ballot access than you ever thought you wanted to know. Um, But for right now, for people considering, well, can the candidate even win? I'm going. The the Libertarian Party candidate will be the only one again on at least 49. We're hoping 50 if Ohio stops their 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 funny business. The Constitution Party is looking on track to be on about 30 states and be an official write-in in three states. And I think the Green Party is on track to be in 43 states. I think only the Green Party and the Libertarian Party, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, are the only ones who will have enough ballot access to, in theory, be able to win enough electoral college votes in a straight electoral college thing. Of course, if Greens won a few and threw it to the House, all bets are off. But if you're just going on how, how, um, how elections normally go, um, only the Libertarian Party and the Green Party have enough. Um, write-ins are interesting. Christopher, Chris, I keep forgetting who wants to be called Christopher. Chris, <laughs> Chris Ray um, was, was was absolutely right that in some states that will invalidate your your whole ballot, but it's still your ballot. And if that's what you wish to do, I would encourage you to do that. It's for the same reasons on the wasted vote thing. It's your ballot. Do with it what you want. I used to throw away my ballot right the minute I got it. That was my right to do it. I did what I want with my ballot. Um, most people are surprised to learn. We, we, we think of this mythic American tradition of write in. I'm going to write in Donald Duck or I'm going to write in none of the above, um, which is an interesting aside at the end. I'll tell you something about that. But um, the fact is some states you have to actually apply and get approved to be a write-in candidate, which to me is just mind-blowing. <laughs> but that is in fact the procedure in some states. So each state is different. Learn your laws. All right. Well, what's the interesting aside you had? 
The interesting aside is the libertarian love affair with NODA, none of the above. And every libertarian election for uh, um, our, when we choose our candidates, either for internal party office or to receive our nominations, none of the above is always an option in every single libertarian election. So when when I was running for something, I was always the biggest worry that I was going to be noted, that NODA would beat me, would beat me in the election, which <laughs> would be pretty embarrassing. But we also would push for that to be on every public ballot, that none of the above should always be an option. That's a peculiar uh, libertarian peccadillo. Hmm. Well, I've really uh, enjoyed and appreciated our time together over these past four episodes, and I think that um, it'll be extremely informative and helpful uh, for our listeners. I know that it has been for me. Um, I want to give you guys, guys both a chance to offer a parting message of sorts, something to give our listeners uh, to be thinking about after this final fourth part of the series is finished playing in their uh, Windows phones. That's a shout out to, to Karen oh, yeah. or their or their iPods or, or what have you. By the way, as a side note, Karen, you'll be, you, you may be interested to know that I no longer use a Windows phone. I use an Android, uh, but I do refuse to use um, iPhones. They're pieces of garbage. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, I, I want to give you guys a chance to share a parting message for our listeners, uh, to give them something to be thinking about. Chris, let me turn to you first. Uh, what would you like to say to our listeners as we wrap things up? Sure, sure. The parting message that I have, and I've been, been thinking about this uh, for quite a while, is that since I stopped towing the party line, since the Republican convention where Donald Trump received the nomination, I have had some of the most interesting and troubling conversations of my life. As a former Republican who does not support Donald Trump, I have had my fellow Christians, my fellow conservatives, say some of the nastiest, ugliest things about me, about my politics, about my character, and about my love for this country than I have ever seen. I've been accused of being a liberal. I've been accused of throwing away my vote. I've been accused of supporting Hillary Clinton. I've been accused literally of helping to damage our country from people that I love and respect and who I know love the Lord and are intelligent people. And my call to those who, who would be in that camp of supporting Donald Trump or even those who are not in the Donald Trump camp who are passionate about whatever candidate that they support is don't forget that beyond candidate, we have our ideologies that oftentimes are in common. And beyond our ideologies, we have the fact that we are Americans, which are in common. And to many of these people, beyond the fact that we're Americans, we have our Lord and our Savior, which we hold in common. And be civil. Understand that those of us who are adamant in our refusal to support a candidate who we believe is woefully unfit for office, understand that we are being genuine, that we are being oftentimes prayerful. And that we are trying to be conscientious voters and conscientious Americans. And if you disagree with us, that's okay. But don't call us names. 
Don't accuse us of, of sleeping with the enemy. Let's still be fellow Americans. Let's still be brothers and sisters in the Lord, even when we disagree uh, on how we're going to vote and on where we stand politically. You know, I really appreciate that appeal. I'll, I'll turn to you in a moment, Karen, but I just want to piggyback on that very briefly because um, it has been really painful for me experiencing just what you're describing. Um, I have, I don't want to be specific in case um, the people that I uh, am about to refer to are listening, but I have had at least three different people whom I uh, care about that have spoken really um painfully about me one one is a is literally a blood ancestor a very close one i don't want to be specific uh but he uh or she i guess i should say literally called me stupid and unintelligent for uh wanting to vote for somebody other than trump um i have had a uh a relative by marriage indicate that i should probably just die um, so as to, you know, uh, you know, make way for, for Trump, um, to take over. And, uh, and, and I've had a, a friend of mine and a fan of the ministries that I'm involved in say that at the time that I was considering voting for Clinton in order to keep Trump out of office, basically say that, basically question whether or not I was a Christian. Um, this kind of vitriol and hatred and animosity, I, I think, really grieves the heart of the Lord. And, and as you say, I think that um, as Christians, even if we disagree with the direction that you know uh, others are headed in terms of their vote, uh, I think we really need to be charitable and respectful and loving, um, even if cautionary. You know, uh, I, I still think we need to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I appreciate that parting message. And Karen, I'll, I'll now turn to, to you for yours. And yeah, Chris is trying to shame me because you know that I never prepare anything. <laughs> you, you know that. The other Chris knows that. Chris Date knows that. that I never prepare anything. Uh, so first I, I'll start off with, with a bit of humor and then get serious. So the bit of humor is that contrary to popular opinion, um, libertarians do not consider the term libtard to be a term of endearment. So I would ask everyone to stop using it. Hmm. Um, now the more serious part is – I really, really, really encourage people, whether or not you like the state, which I do not, whether or not you like politics, which I do not, as we've alluded to several times before, I'm actually an anarchist. I, you're, you're living here, and it, it behooves you to get involved, and it's not difficult. I would encourage everyone to do it. I hope that what you've heard has whet your appetite a little bit, and I would hope that perhaps my example would give you some encouragement because you're talking about somebody who has been absolutely politically for the most part, uninvolved for the majority of her life, decided to get involved about two years ago. And if you think you can't make a difference, particularly in third parties, you can. Um, I went from not caring to now serving on the Libertarian National Committee. So you can actually make a difference, start turning things in the way that you'd like and influencing the groups in which hold your values to keep on holding your values. And Christopher Ray brought up a great point that when you start looking beyond the duopoly, you do start, I think, getting to more, is there such a thing as pure politics? There probably isn't, but 
as far as it can be, that you start getting past the candidates and into the ideology. I am shamelessly a party. Uh, some people call me a party hack. I just say I'm shamelessly partisan. Um, I'm about the Libertarian Party and their ideology. Some candidates will represent it more faithfully than others, but I, I firmly believe that I'm with a group that is pushing an ideology that I can get 100% behind. And it feels really good to be involved to that extent, and I want other people to do this, even if it happens to be with a party I don't agree with. All right. Well, thank you both again for your time, these these grand total of four plus hours that we've been recording. Um, as I said, I think our listeners will uh, be informed and edified. I know that I have been and uh, you know, I look forward to talking to you each in, uh, in, in other forums. Thanks again. All right. You have an awesome day. Thank you, Chris. 